morning, Christ Central. How y'all doing? My name is Renika Cheney. I'm a women's shepherd here at Christ Central, and I also have the honor of serving on our pastoral search team. <laughs> Today's reading comes from Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I said, listen, you leaders of Israel. You are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. Then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. This is what the Lord says. You false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. Now the night will close around you, cutting off all your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun will set for you prophets, and your day will come to an end. Then you seers will be put to shame, and you fortune tellers will be disgraced, and you will cover your faces because there is no answer from the Lord. But as for me, I am filled with power and with the spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid, yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. Because of you, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. Whew, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Always challenging scripture to read and to dive right into. Um, good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, we're glad you could join us this morning as we continue our sermon series in 12 Prophets. We're in Micah, and we're looking at the second uh, part of Micah, serving the chapters 3 through 5. We, we read the portion of chapter 3, actually all of chapter 3. We're going to delve into chapter 4 and 5 a little bit as well. As Micah can be easily broken down into three parts, each section starting with Shema, meaning hear, listen, attention. And today we read the second portion of that. Uh, before we begin, let's pray one more time and ask God to speak to us during this time through the Word of God. Father, we pray for that, that Lord, even as harsh as the words we read may be, pray that Lord, you will speak the Word, the truth to us. So today, as we hear your Word, that will not harden our hearts, but listen carefully as you call us to listen. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. And all God's children say, Amen. What is something that you and I often ignore that is vital in our life? What is something that you often hear but close your ears to? When tragic event in the airline industry happened to Southwest Flight 1380 back in 2018 of April. And as you might have heard it back then with horror, that was sharp now that ended up with one woman's death and a plane made an emergency stop in Philadelphia, which broke the casualty in a commercial flight since 2009. 
was a tragic story at that. But what was astonishing in this flight was also a picture that was circulated afterwards, shared by Marty Martinez. It was a picture of passengers with oxygen masks only over their mouth, not covering their nose and mouth as it was meant to be. In describing this flaw, this is how a news reporter began his report. He says, the airline safety demonstrations at the beginning of the flights have become so routine, so routine for flyers that many hardly paid them any attention. And I think a lot of us probably are guilty of this as well. As the flight attendants go up and does a safety demonstration, you're probably more interested in what movie you're going to watch on the flight or the water you need to drink more than paying attention to the, the safety demonstration. But, and at the dire moment, as we see, these passengers failed to put on the mask properly, and this could have caused a catastrophic event for them. It could cause a serious hypo, uh, um, hypoxia, where the body lacks enough oxygen to maintain normal physiological function. In order for you to survive, as they say, put the mask on over your nose and mouth, and afterwards, help your child because you're not able to help them if you are losing oxygen too. Well, when we read today's text, the second Shema, Hebrew word for hear or listen from Micah, which is yet another indictment against a divided nation, Israel and Judah, and we see Micah continuing the message of the theme of how sin impacts us and our relationship with God. And in some sense, in many ways, this is the same message that you and I have been hearing, not only from Micah, but from all the prophets of the minor prophets. And it almost sounds like the safety demonstration, doesn't it? Hurry, you're in trouble. Hurry, you're in trouble. Hurry, you're in trouble. And every single time the Israelites are sent this prophet time and time again to hear of the warning of the coming um, punishment, coming punishment of their sin. And just like the many passengers of airplane often do, Israel and Judah close their ears and say, oh, yeah, I heard this before. I heard this before. Let's move on. What's next? What's next item on the agenda? What's the weather like? What's the next thing to look forward to? And we see Israel, uh, Israelites and Judah disregard this message time and time again. And as we think about who they are and the struggles and warning that they go through, the question also begs us to answer, doesn't it? How often for us as we gather every Sunday, what blessing it is that we get to freely gather every Sunday. And every single time you open the scripture, I know we gasped at the words that we read, but you could read this at home. And same words come every single time. And question for us is, are we really aware of the warning and the challenges to the word of God present to us today? Or is this something that falls on deaf ear or something tra- before something tragic happens in our life? Just as famously put forth by C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, where he pretends to write as an older demon instructing a younger demon, he says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, uh, without signposts. Soft, slowly fading away into hell. Well, we do get a signpost, don't we? Like today's text in Micah, time and time again, there is signpost that says you are headed towards destruction, 
But the question again is for us as we delve into this text is, are we at the danger of disregarding God's warning for us this morning? Is it just mere another safety demonstration? Or are you embracing the word, embracing God's command as we read through Micah chapter 3 to 5? So let's look at this text, shall we? Micah, as we talked about, is a prophet, a small prophet coming from a town of Moresheth who warns of the great devastation to come. So we're going to look at two things, a small to great. First thing we see is small to great, small warning to grand punishment that is to come. Small warning to the grand punishment that is to come. Tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. In fact, tomorrow actually coincides with his birthday. But we do celebrate the first, uh, the third Monday of January. And one way we can remember his legacy, and we share this during our Bible study this morning as well, is to read his renowned letter from Birmingham Jail. If you're not familiar with that letter, I encourage you to get familiar right away. You want you to Google it, you can find it. It's a letter he writes from the Birmingham jail where the king faces his protests and urges listeners to heed to the reason for the civil rights movement. We're often reminded to read his letter from Birmingham jail, not to forget the legacy and the impact of this letter. In it, he writes this. He says, beyond this, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their dust, says the Lord, far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as Apostle Paul left his little village of Tarshish and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Moreover, I'm cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're caught in an inescapable, inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider. As MLK reminds us, one injustice is injustice everywhere. It is no small one-time issue. It is a grave warning we must heed to even today in the present day somewhat 60 years after initial draft was written. And just as the king says, just as a prophet leaves a small town to give grave warning to the watching world, uh, to the, the nations, he writes this letter to the watching nation of the injustice. And Micah, again, does the same. Today's text shows that sin starts small, but it spreads outright. It starts in your heart, One act, one disobedience, but it leads to action and the fall of the nation. Micah brings us to the attention again in chapter 3 as he begins by saying, Listen, hear this God's command. God and sin cannot coexist. That's what he says in Micah chapter 3. I say, listen, you leaders of Israel, you're supposed to know. 
You're supposed to know right from wrong. But you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear them flesh from their bones. And from here, Micah summarizes what sin is. He says, sin hates good and loves evil. And that's what we see. Sin hates good. Sin hates good. And Bible tells us what good is. Good is defined by God and God alone. And this is the reason why you and I know what good is, whether it is good, warm day, good taste of food that you and I enjoy. It is defined by God for us because we see that in creation, don't we? After God creates heaven and earth, what does God say? It is good. So God gives us the language. God tells us what is good. So when God creates men without sin, God says, very good. So when sin is committed, it is hatred, hatred towards what create, God created to be good. It is the direct opposite of what it meant to be good. That's where sin grows, from heart to action, desire to deed. As an author, James K. A. Smith, writes in the book, you are what you love, our wants, our longings, our desires at the core of our identity, the wellspring of which our actions and behaviors flow. And as we say, what you believe, what you want, is what you do. Micah says it as well in chapter 3, verse 4. Out of love for evil comes deeds for evil. Then you back the Lord for times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. And where does this evil come from? This love for evil come from? Micah says it comes from wrong teaching. Wrong understanding. Chapter 3, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Your false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. Chapter 3, verse 11. Your rulers make decisions based on bribes. Your priests teach God's law only for a price. Your prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you proclaim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord here is among us. You see, this pattern of sin is again found in Genesis, in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, with the fall of man, the pattern is the same. When Eve is approached by Satan in the form of serpent, the wrong teaching comes in. Right? He says, did God really say? And that wrong teaching birthed a desire. I want to be like God, to be like God. Now it leads into action of let me take this and eat it. I'll be like God. And that's how sin always begins. Wrong teaching, evil desire that's birth that leads into evil action. And when sin is birth, it leads to sinner now declaring spiritual independence, basically saying, I don't want anything to do with God. I want to be separated from God. And that's what we read in Micah chapter 5, verse 12 through 13. I will put an end to all witchcraft, and there will be no more fortune tellers. I will destroy all your idols and sacred pillars, so you will never again worship the work of your own hands. Your spiritual independence, separation from God, basically says, I'm going to create idols. Because the God that you dictate my life is not the God that I want to follow. I'm going to create my own idols. I'm going to follow. Basically, what Israel and Judah declare here by practicing all this and following idols is, God, get away from me. God does not factor in my life. You see, sin is a broken promise. Not only God is appalled at your sin, but we are basically saying in sin, I'm appalled by God. 
and push him away. Think about that for a second. Often in the puddles of our sin, we cry out, God, where are you? Why am I left alone? But you recognize the puddle of sin that you're sitting in basically declares, I don't want this. I don't want you, God. So before we declare, where is God? We must look at what we're seeing by our actions in the puddles we're in. Church, how do we fight this? How do we fight this danger of warning of spiritual adultery? Often people will come and ask, Pastor, how can I grow? How can I love the Lord? How can I, how can I love my neighbors? And you know, there's no secret formula here. It basically is pray and, to, and read, right? Pray and read. As my pastor one time told me, you don't grow overnight by eating this gigantic steak. Right? You, you grow by eating daily, daily mac and cheese your mom and dad makes you. Right? You eat that and you grow. Your child doesn't always have steak and grow. So if you only depend upon one-time Sunday service or one-time spiritual experience, one-time missions activity, one-time outreach activity, and be like, oh, I'm filled for the rest of the week, that's not going to happen. It's daily walking with the Lord, daily going into the Word of God, and daily dependence in prayer that will help you to grow, that will help you to be renewed in your mind and your heart. As one pastor once decried, our unsanctified desires will be acted out. Therefore, we come and ask for God's renewal of heart. You renew my spirit, following the saints of the Scripture who tells us how to pray, saying, God, to renew and transform our mind through the Word of God. And this warning sign is important for us to pay attention. Why? Because sin will have consequences. And that's what we read, didn't we? Sin will result in eternal separation that is to come. Micah describes the consequence as punishment of your actions. In verse 4, it says, Then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect Him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you as separation. Verse 6, now the night will close around you, cutting off all your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun was set for your prophets, and your day will come to an end. Separation. Because of you, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. Again, a separation. And chapter 5, verse 3 gives a summary of what this punishment will be, where it says God will now give them up. Chapter 5, verse 3 says, the people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies. ESV translates as give them up to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth, then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And if you're a careful reader of the New Testament, This sounds eerily similar to what we read in Romans, don't we not? When Paul, speaking of the ways of sin, Paul who says God is not the one who causes sin, but sin is the one that says, I want to give up on God, and God, because of sin, gives it up, gives you up to sin. Where Romans 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 24, 28 says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded truth about God for a lie. Church, that's a grave consequence of sin. Sin at its core rebels against God's rule, rejects God's mercy, and receives God's wrath. However, its consequence is something that sinners ultimately desire. They want this. 
In sin, basically you're saying, I want this, I love this, this is what I want to be. And as we think about what it means to hear the warnings of God again this morning, as we begin the new year, here's a message Micah gives us again and again, again, echoing in the history. If America as a nation have struggled with racism still after 60 years, how long do you think sin has entangled us too? Do not let the signs of sin and the desire of sin go unchecked, oh brothers and sisters. There will be consequences. Examine your heart, oh brothers and sisters, and come to the beckoning heart of our Heavenly Father. Because from small to great, we see sin's warning goes to destruction. But even in this warning text, from small to great, we see a from small little town, we find hope of the gospel. From a small little town, we find the hope of the gospel. After this letter was written from Birmingham jail, the king's letter uh, had a profound impact. A short letter had a profound impact on the nation. As one writer comments on reflecting on this important letter, writes, the persuasive nature of the letter attracted more people to the protests. The protests also reached a younger audience who began joining the marches. As the size of the marches became larger, police tried to control the crowds using dogs and fire hoses. This act of violence against nonviolent protests were broadcast across the country and sparked a national opinion of civil rights. Today, people still participate in nonviolent marches. From one's pen, to one of the greatest movements that flamed a nation into a movement. It sparked the movement of hope of thousands and millions that follow and those who are still marching today. Micah, in today's text, gives us the origin of hope like this that one can have in the battle with sin. In a dire warning, here's God's promise that begins small, perhaps looks really small, but that will lead to our ultimate hope that all of us and the millions and millions that follow after can hold on to. And in the following the dire warning of chapter 3 where we just read, we get chapter 4 and chapter 5, and it's God's grand promise. In chapter 4, verse 1, we read, In the last day, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. The most important place on earth, it will be raised above other hills, and people from all over the world will stream, here, stream there to worship. It sounds grandiose, doesn't it? Remember where Israelites and Judah were? Israel was about to be wiped out at the hand of Assyrians. Judah is about to go to exile at Babylon due to the consequences of their sin. So where does this begin? How would this come about after all these things are happening? All the consequences will happen. How does God do this? How does God do this? And we see that in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. God will start assembling small remnants that will come back, exile that will come back. In chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, it says, In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiled, and those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who are exiles will become a strong nation. Doesn't sound like how you begin a nation. A weak people and exiles. But that's how it begins. Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious 
Jerusalem, but he goes further than just gathering the remnants at the time the exiles will return. It's promised, and they do return. But God also promises justice and peace. The embodiment of God's rule will happen again, God says. And we see God's promise, the promise of a new era will come. And that's what we just read in verse 3 to 4, where God will say that justice and peace will come. And this is what we find. The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They'll hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nations nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees. There will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made that promise. Church, you see, it's not God saying, I'll gather the weak people and do something about it. Good luck. Do better this time. He says, I'll gather people like this, but now I, the Lord of the host, the armies of the heavenly armies, will promise this will happen. And that's what Christianity is all about. Don't make any mistake about this, church, because oftentimes we think we're on our own. We've got to make it happen. We've got to fight for even good things like justice. We're like, we've got to make it happen. Yes, you have to participate. We have to outflow. We have to read, march, and do all those things. They're great, but it begins with dependence on the Lord. It always begins with God's intervention of the heart, transformation of the heart. That's why we say Martin Luther King is not just a civil rights activist. He's a theologian. He's a pastor at that. He speaks of a national heart change, a heart that turns to the Lord, first and foremost, out of that love, loving your neighbors. And the question is, how will God keep this promise? How will God promise this deliverance? And God says it will begin small, from a small town of Bethlehem. And that's what we said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through 5. We find this very famous quote, Scripture that we often love to talk about in Christmas, but it comes in the context of this judgment. Isn't that amazing? The gospel starts small in light of the warning of the judgment. And this is what Micah says. But you, O Bethlehem, are as only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will be returned from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world. And he will be the source of peace. When the Syrians invade our land and break through our defenses, we will appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us. The promise we find is that out of this small town of Bethlehem, our Savior is born. What we celebrate is not only the return of the remnants of Israelites, but out of the Bethlehem, out of this town in the New Testament era, as we see Christ comes and he becomes not only hope for the Israelites, not only hope for the Judeans, but hope for the whole world. Whole world that's renting, that's the groaning in sin. Now the source of peace and hope comes from Bethlehem. The beginning of this intervention does not only begin in the New Testament, but begins in the puddles of sin and failure God speaks the truth, breaks the curse, and promises God's love for them. Church, I believe that's where our hope begins this morning as well. In our struggles with daily sin, in our struggle with our brokenness, 
in our struggles with addiction, as we look at the world and our nation that's divided, that's fractured and that's broken, the hope that we could have is not that we could do better. We could vote someone in that we better. Or maybe perhaps somehow the economy will turn around. Or perhaps you could get some more people to do the better thing. Yes, we must act and do those things out of the heart desire that God gives us, but it begins with this hope that comes from Bethlehem. And as we place our place, our hope in it, in the small hope, the seed is born. Now we long for the king to come, the king to transform the hearts of God's people. And as we cry out, do not lose heart, we persevere because the rest of God's promise is coming. The remnants, the people that will gather, God will intervene. God will purify. And this remnant of God's people will be renewed and they will be committed to the Lord and they'll point people towards Christ. Church, as we begin the new year, perhaps a new season of Christ Central, as we look forward to the next season with the hope of our pastor coming, we pray, let's be people, Christ Central, that longs for the renewal of our hearts, for the church to be committed to the word of the Lord, committed to the working of God's kingdom so that we could be his faithful witnesses from here until he returns. Amen. In the past week or so, we also see another airline flight that had a terrible accident. Incident happened to Alaskan airline flight that after minutes of takeoff with the flight at 16,000 feet in altitude, so the difference in the pressure between the air inside the cabin and outside was smaller than it would have been at the much higher cruising altitude. But what we saw was that there weren't that many, there weren't any casualties that happened. Um, and if the blowout, uh, they said if the blowout has occurred later in the flight, passengers may have been walking down the aisle, they say, leading to a much more potentially catastrophic results. What we found out, the reason why the people weren't walking around is because the plane was taking off at the time. And the reason why is people put seatbelt on. At the cruising altitude, anyone who was um, standing had the seatbelt buckled in. And this tiny little device prevented people from flying out, facing the consequences, perhaps, of their action. According to FAA government, often we disregard this, but they say everyone who has flown at the cruising altitude, anyone who wasn't belted in or strapped down would have gone right out the opening, they say. And do you know that... Um, we don't really recognize this, but there's a rule against it. They say the travelers who do not obey and put a safety seatbelt on is actually fineable to $10,000. But we oftentimes may not listen to the face mask, but a lot of us definitely listen to uh, the belt when we put them on. As we begin the new year, I want to encourage us as we think about the Word of God to not to disregard God's warning for us. Turn to the Lord. Find his scripture. Find the community of God's people. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord, shall we? Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer as we gather in this new season, um, as we think about what it means to follow after the Lord, as we hear the word of our prophet Micah calling us again and again the time to repent, return to the Lord, as we think about the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. in the era that followed, in the season that 
Quite honestly, Lord, in a season that often makes us lose hope, in a season that sometimes makes us lose hope for the future, in the season that's coming where we see a potential election that will, no, election that will often divide us and separate us. We pray that, Lord, you help us to hold on to the hope, hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. We thank you, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.